Hello, and welcome to Afternoonified. The podcast where you can eat all of the cake that you want. I'm Emily. I'm Sarah. And we we absolutely mean that genuinely, so please don't cut off our heads. It's ridiculous. No one ever got their head cut off for telling people to eat cake. Oh, boy. people to eat cake genuinely um i am aware that <laughs> she was being maybe not sarcastic but a teenager about it <laughs> well spoiler alert was she no we'll get there hello welcome back uh this episode has gotten away from me entirely <laughs> this episode not the two other episodes <laughs> Uh, I know we said in the last episode that this was going to be a two-part episode, and then I wrote my notes for part two, and they were twice as long as my notes for part one. Now tell the people how many pages they were, Sarah. They were 21 pages. Mm-hmm. And for comparison, my notes for the Donner Party were 11. 10 to 11 uh, is generally kind of like what I shoot for for a full episode. <laughs> Any longer than that, and it, it does get um, a Two in the weeds. <laughs> little bit as i was telling emily like i could probably cut a lot of what i wrote for this episode but it would be cutting all the fun detail stuff and that's the part that makes it a fun episode and not like everything you've already heard about you just love the french revolution and yeah also the french revolution is complicated and like antonia fraser gets so into the weeds with the french revolution to the point where like i was starting to skim (laughs) I, I actually don't know a lot about the actual French Revolution. Yeah, so like even as I was researching this episode, I didn't really learn a lot about the French Revolution, specifically because I was getting, like, it was all very focused on what was happening with the royal family, whereas, like, there are other things happening in the French Revolution that were not explicitly... Yeah, it wasn't just the royal family's fault. Yeah. So, which is to say, we're not even getting to the French Revolution in this episode. That'll be all of part three. Uh, so stay tuned and buckle up. I'm very excited to bring you uh, another, just another chapter in the saga of Marie Antoinette's life. Uh, I'm going to restate my sources here just in case anyone decided to start at part two. Uh, a- Fucking psychopaths. <laughs> I got a lot of this from Marie Antoinette, The Journey by Antonia Fraser. Uh, of course, Wikipedia, Encyclopedia Britannica, Smithsonian Magazine, and The New Yorker. Uh, so before we start into part two, I was going to ask you in advance if you'd be fine with doing this. But now I'm just going to ask you here, live recording. <laughs> you want to give us like a brief recap of like what we learned in our last episode? Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> It can be a Cliff's Notes. It's going to be like a Cliff Notes. Um, so Marie Antoinette uh, is Austrian. She is. Uh, her mom was the Empress of the Holy Roman Empire. She had like nine brothers and sisters, mostly sisters. Fifteen, actually, but... Fifteen? <laughs> yeah. Good Catholic family. She wasn't supposed to be the one that got married off to France, but she was like the only one left. And... They didn't do the do for, like, what, f- five years? Seven. Seven years. Some issues with a penis. No one really knows. <laughs> oh, we know. Don't worry. <laughs> Jury's out. Um, Let's see. Uh, Rip Torn died, 
And then they were made king and queen when they were 18. Yes, that is actually a very good recap. That hits all the high parts. Uh, the marriage, the Austrianness, uh, the penis, all of it. <laughs> the penis wasn't a high point. That was the problem. Uh, yeah, I would not consider that uh, the best part of the episode by any means. <laughs> so yeah, The most referenced. Yeah, so where we left off on our last episode was Rip Torn, Louis Fifteenth had died of smallpox. And... Like everybody else. A teenage Louis the Sixteenth and Marie Antoinette were now king and queen of France. So <laughs> Louis the Sixteenth would officially be crowned at the cathedral in Reims on June eleventh, seventeen seventy-five. So despite uh, the Austrian ambassador Count Mercy's efforts to have Marie Antoinette crowned alongside her husband, Louis was counseled by his ministers to resist the ambassador's pressure under the excuse that a double ceremony would be too expensive. This is a time in history when Fran- France is trying to watch its wallet. It doesn't DoorDash its dinners every night. You know, the usual. Well, they, they are in a, in a little bit. Uh, Marie Antoinette, for her part, uh, seemed largely indifferent about the whole thing. She didn't really seem to care that she wasn't, like, getting a whole ceremony to ground her. She's still the queen. She's just, you know, they're not making a big deal about it. Uh, she was content to accompany her husband in a magnificent jeweled dress created by the dressmaker, Rose Bartin. Uh, And she would not be alone in her choice of an expensive dress. Uh, The king's own clothing for the occasion was enormously costly. Uh, And a new crown, which was embellished with rubies, emeralds, emeralds, sapphires, and diamonds, was made for him when it was discovered that his grandfather's crown was too small. Now it was embellished with emeralds. They really picked it up a notch. (laughs) I love the lead up to that joke because you were clearly just very politely (laughs) (laughs) waiting for a moment. Or you can make it. <laughs> and now... Any chance to roast you and reference one of my favorite 90s celebrity shows. <laughs> and now you get to keep my bar tongue in the episode. Congratulations. That's all yes. I want. Uh, so, <laughs> as we mentioned, this coronation was happening at a time when France's finances were already in a freefall. The country was facing a deficit of 22 million livres, with another 78 million projected. Uh I actually, I don't know the conversion rates of this because it's like old timey currency that doesn't exist anymore. Um, yeah, Libra. Yeah, <laughs> like this pre Franks even. Uh, so I don't know, but it was a lot of money uh, <laughs> due to a disastrous harvest in 1774 and price controls imposed by Louis' Minister of Finance. The prices price of grain was skyrocketing. So in the months leading up to the coronation, there were a series of protests and riots that would become to known as the Flower War. And this is what we li- would like to call political foreshadowing. Did you say the Flower War? Flower. F-L-O-U-R. The baking flower. That makes more sense. Uh, it's less cute, though. <laughs> it's worth noting that uh, the Flower War, it seems like a good time as any for Marie Antoinette to have uttered her notorious catchphrase, let them eat cake. Uh, though it is perhaps well established by now that this was actually not a thing she ever said. She didn't? Nope. Didn't happen. <laughs> the writer Rousseau ascribed the phrase to a great princess as early as 1767, but this was before Marie Antoinette's arrival in France, and I'm pretty sure like before she was even betrothed to Louis. 
Uh, it was also credited at one point to one of Louis's aunts, Madame Sophie, as early as 1751. So, like, it was basically a royal meme. So they just threw this poor bitch under the bus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or under the carriage. <laughs> uh, the words we do have from Marie Antoinette during this period, uh, from a letter to her mother, struck a notably different tone. Uh, it is quite certain that in seeing the people who treat us so well, despite their own misfortune, we are more obliged than ever to work hard for their happiness. Oh, that's a lot more eloquent than the other thing. <laughs> a little bit. God, we are just awful to this poor woman. <laughs> oh, oh, honey. Oh, honey, buckle up. This isn't even the bad part. <laughs> is this one of those things where, like, we think she was kind of a dick and then it just turns out she was fine and everyone kind of... Yeah, pretty much. I, I have a whole spiel about it at the end of part three, where I, like, vomit my thoughts on Marie Antoinette onto Google's, Google Docs. Um, but she is not nearly as bad as history has given her credit for, is the long and short of it. Fucking 18-year-old girl, I don't know what you want for her. <laughs> She's gonna be kind of a dick. So with the Flower War having more or less fizzled out by May, the coronation went on as planned. This proved to be an intensely emotional event for Marie Antoinette, who was moved to tears by her husband's dignified concentration. At one point, she became so overwhelmed with emotion, she was forced to, like, leave. She had to step out for a little bit. I think she just wanted to get out of church. <laughs> I would. Uh, the people loved her for her tears. It was that, and it was true that despite her tenuous position and ongoing lack of air, still an issue, uh, Marie Antoinette oh. enjoyed immense popularity among the people of France during this time. Uh, at a production of one of Gluck's new operas in 1775, which Marie Antoinette attended, uh, there was a line, let us sing, let us celebrate our queen, and this prompted applause so loud that it brought the entire opera to a halt. Uh, and cries of long live the queen filled the air for 15 minutes. That's cute. Yeah. Uh, so now that she was queen, Marie Antoinette faced greater pressure from her mother to exert political influence over her husband. Remember, this is why the marriage happened in the first place. You need to go send a wife over. You can, you know, put in a good word for your ally, Austria. To be fair, I don't think Louis was the brightest bulb <laughs> in the box. He was not. He... He was a sweet boy. He was book smart. Yeah. This is also not like the traditional role of a French queen. Like the queen was not a role that was designed to hold power. And unlike many, like, unlike many European countries that had had like a female monarch in her own right at this point, French law prohibited women from ascending to the throne altogether. Of course they fucking yeah. did. And this is like, this is post Elizabeth I. This is post Mary Queen of Scots. This is like women have been on they the They knew throne. better. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there was an expectation that women could wield influence in a less formal way, specifically like, you know, by taking advantage of their proximity to power. But this was not all like this was not the queen, the thing for a queen to do. This was traditionally the role of the king's mistress. Uh, and Louis did not have one of those. Yeah, I didn't expect he did. <laughs> it's hard enough to get him to have sex with one woman. Never mind. Is multiple. There? I'm sure there's speculation that maybe... Louis' croquet mallet swung the other direction. You know, I never saw any of that. Really? I, I get the overwhelming impression he was just not interested, that he was shy and awkward and just wasn't all that Which into it. Which is also valid. Like, yeah. some people just don't like to fuck. That's fine. Uh, so, Marie Antoinette's wife at Versailles was far from a sure thing. In August 1775, her sister-in-law, the Comtesse d'Artois, gave birth to a healthy baby boy who was the first Bourbon prince of his generation, which is you know, great. 
Big deal. That's great for her. Yes. And if you remember in the last episode, she basically like sat Louie down and told him like, you know, your brother just got married. Like if his wife has a baby before I do it, it's a bad look for me. And yet. So for Marie Antoinette, who as queen was expected to attend the labor because these women had to give birth in front of like the whole court, essentially, uh, this was nothing short of ritual humiliation. Uh, Though she did embrace her sister-in-law and extended her her congratulations. uh, Once that was over, she retired to her own quarters and shut herself up into her in her inner sanctum where she wept bitterly. As she is entitled to do. I I cannot even imagine trying to deal with that at 18 way too much pressure (laughs) i know we're like harping on that point a lot but she's a baby i mean life expectancies were uh shorter back then so she's i guess the equivalent in her 20s but so the libels of the time which were these were like pamphlets that were satiric and usually very obscene they took great delight in the queen's situation because of course everyone knew her business uh so they like to poke fun at the king's supposed impotence, and also Marie's Marie Antoinette's close relationship with her brother-in-law, the aforementioned Comte d'Artois. This would eventually become sort of like a running joke within the libels. Like, whenever they were accusing Marie Antoinette of being an adulteress, it was usually she was uh, fucking her brother-in-law. I mean, was he hot? I don't... I think... Uh, I, I would have to look back and see... Uh, there was one brother that was pretty good looking and one brother that was not. <laughs> That's all I remember. I don't remember which is which. Uh, the Libels also criticized Marie Antoinette for her general lack of seriousness and more reasonably <laughs> the excess of her dress, which at this point was reaching completely new, new heights of ridiculousness. By the end of 1776, the queen, who had ha- already had a dress allowance of 150,000 livres, had managed to run up debts of nearly 500,000. That's a lot on dresses. Uh, but also... Well, the French were just very flamboyant in general, so... Yeah. And to put this in context, like, the rest of the royal family was also spending insane amounts of money, not necessarily on clothes all the time, but, like, the Comte d'Artois regularly had his debts paid off by the queen, or by the king, eventually, like, 21 million livres in all. Jesus Christ! Yeah. (laughs) Which, if you'll remember, matches kind of, like, what the French deficit is. And this was over time. This was not like a lump sum, but just an insane amount of money that these people are spending. It's almost like the revolution was a little bit justified. Yeah. Uh, It's also worth saying that, like, beyond the fact that everybody else was doing it, too, dressing fashionably was kind of Marie Antoinette's whole job. She's got to have something. Yeah. And she was expected as queen that she should be a patron of all of these luxury trades, like silk weaving. Paris is a city where there's a lot of, like, very talented artisans, and they are dependent on the financial support of the noble class. So Marie Antoinette has to, like, set a good example by buying Parisian silk. Uh, And actually, like, later, when she started to wear these, like, simple gowns made of muslin, she actually got criticized because she wasn't patronizing the silk weavers enough. Like, she can't win, literally. We still do that shit today, though. (laughs) Yes, exactly. They're, they will always find a reason to criticize something a woman is doing. Doesn't matter what. They'll, they'll find something. Especially a woman with any kind of power. Yes. Or perceived power, even. And not to say, like, she didn't have power because she was a very wealthy woman and married to the king. But, like... She's still a woman in France yeah. in the 1700s. Yes, exactly. 
Uh, so <laughs> Marie Antoinette did take her role as fa- royal fashion plate very seriously. Uh, she liked that that was how she expressed herself was through her dresses and her hair. So behind each and every new creation was her milliner, Rose Bertin, who soon became her confidant and friend. As dressmaker to the queen, Bertin, who had been dubbed the minister of fashion by some, would rise in prominence and quickly become a celebrated designer among French nobility and establishing France as the center of the fashion industry. She was a big deal. She was like the first big fashion designer, kind of. Oh, so it was a lady. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, so working with uh, the Queen's hairdresser, who was named Leonard Ati, <laughs> Bertan would also design these dramatic poofs. So this is this is the hairstyle you think of when you like think of Marie Antoinette. Um, and it was popularized by her. And basically, like, pile the hair on top of the head, and they use wire frames and padding to get these big, dramatic towers of hair. I did see someone recreate this on Instagram, but they used a cheese grater, and it worked out pretty well. Hey, that's pretty ingenious. That's very resourceful. Uh, some of these would get as high as three feet tall. Jesus, that's which, a lot of weight. It's like <laughs> about half the height. Probably more because everyone's like five foot tall in the past, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so not only were these like poofs very tall, but they all had their own theme. So some of them like had ships. <laughs> Like, in the hair, they were barnyard-themed. They had themes of vegetables and nativities. There was one woman who wore a poof where the theme was all of her husband's infidelities. And no source I could find, like, (laughs) elaborated on what that looked like. But what a power move. I love her. (laughs) So after her success in persuading the king to be vaccinated against smallpox, Marie Antoinette sported an inoculation poof which featured a club striking a snake in an olive tree, which is supposed to represent the triumph of science over evil. That is very on brand. Bold and great. Yes. So Marie Antoinette's lifestyle, it it was lavish. Let's, I'm not going to understate that or like pretend it wasn't the case. Her household alone consisted of nearly 500 people, like just, you know, her servants, her friends. she's She's creating jobs. Yeah. Uh, But again, not alone in this. (laughs) The king's household obviously was larger because he was the king. uh, And the households of his brothers and their wives were just as big as the queen's. The whole royal family was built, like, this whole system is built on excess. As many, many people, noble and otherwise, benefit from that system. So no one really had any vested interest in changing that. (laughs) These people, they were job creators, Emily. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Uh, And Marie Antoinette was particularly generous to members of her household as well as to her friends. Uh, So following her ascension as queen, Marie Antoinette made her friend the Princess de Lamballe superintendent of the household, which was the highest rank possible for a lady-in-waiting. And also kind of a controversial choice, like this position at court had actually been vacant for over 30 years because it was deemed too expensive and gave too much influence to the woman that held it. Like, basically, like... It's just the queen's best friend, but in... <laughs> but getting paid to be the queen's best friend. Yeah, essentially. So, ironically enough, though she would remain superintendent, the Princess de Lamballe would soon be usurped by Marie Ant- as Marie Antoinette's favorite by the charismatic and vivacious Duchess de Polignac, who was uh, 26 at the time. So, by all accounts, Marie Antoinette had a particularly intense emotional attachment to Polignac, 
to for her kind of filled a role similar to that of an older sister. Like, you know, she when she was in Austria, she was very close with her older sister, Maria Carolina. Yeah. So it's kind of like duplicating that relationship. But yeah, I mean, it, it must be hard going from having all of those sisters to not yeah. having any of them. Yeah. And especially like, not only that, but when you essentially get imported from Austria, you have to make a whole new set of friends. Yeah, because they don't so, let you keep any of your shit. <laughs> yeah, you got to send all your other old friends away. Uh, the Libels, of course, would satir- satirize their relationship as a sexual one, as of course they would. Uh, though there wasn't an accusation that was unique to Polignac, like there were also similar charges made about her relationship with the Princess de Lombal. Oh my like, god. <sighs> as far as the Libels concerned, Marie Antoinette was fucking everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she did, along with her friends, through some late night parties. Uh, the main attraction was almost always gambling, which was a popular pastime for many. Uh, card games like Lansquenet and the Pharaoh were popular. Marie Antoinette enjoyed both. I don't know what either of those are. <laughs> I Card games, again, beyond me. <laughs> card games. Just like all card language. games? Yes. <laughs> I, I I can play a good card game, but like I sit and watch my brothers play Euchre or something and I'm like, I I don't I can't follow. Are your brothers 85? Yes. Everyone in the Midwest is 85 once you bring out a pack of cards. <laughs> so for her 21st birthday in 1776, Marie Antoinette hosted a card game that started on the night of October 30th and lasted until three in the morning of November 1st. It was a real wild Halloween party slash birthday party. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, when Louis politely commented on this, the queen replied, you said we could play, but you never specified for how long. To which the king laughed and said, in good humor, you're all worthless, the lot of you. I just like this anecdote because it's cute. <laughs> and was in the movie. They seem to genuinely like each other. They really do. Uh, so Marie... Maria Teresa disapproved of her daughter's gambling, if only because it proved to be a distraction from the husband, which, again, was probably the point. Like, they liked each other, but again, it, the it sex stuff... Like they liked each other as friends. Yes. That, again, yeah, that's the general impression I got, that they really loved each other, but they weren't in love with each other. Which is fine. Yeah. I mean, that could be the foundation for a good and stable relationship, but you're also royal and... <laughs> Yeah, you got shit There are to certain take care obligations. Uh, in April, speaking of said obligations, in April 1777, Emperor Joseph, Marie Antoinette's oldest brother, was dispatched to save the royal marriage. Oh, God. Upon his <laughs> arrival at Versailles, he was greeted by his sister with a long hug uh, and a walk in the gardens. And there, Marie Antoinette would get her first lecture, chastised, being chastised for her gambling, her choice in friends, and her neglect of the king. <laughs> This is my favorite quote. It is time, he would later write, reflecting back on their visit, more than time, to reflect and construct a better way of life. You are getting older and you no longer have the excuse of youth. Oh my god. Antoinette was 21 years old when he wrote this letter. Uh, More productively, I think, uh, Emperor Joseph also had a frank talk with his brother-in-law. And it was only through this conversation that the true nature of the king and queen's marital difficulties became clear. I cannot wait to hear this. And this is the quote I've been dreading <laughs> for this entire ordeal. In a letter to his brother Leopold, Joseph wrote, Imagine in his marriage bed, this is the secret, 
He was strong, or he has strong, perfectly satisfactory erections. He introduces the member, stays there without moving for about two minutes, withdraws without ejaculating, but still erect, and bids goodnight. (laughs) Did no one explain any of this shit to either of them? No one? No, apparently not. In like, they had doctors visit, and presumably, like, no I, one thought to be like, hey, you gotta move it around? No one gave them the talk <laughs> until her brother came to visit, and he gave Louis the talk. This feels like Catholicism's fault. Yes, it's absolutely Catholicism's fault. So having presumably, at some point during this visit, been given some remedial sex ed, <laughs> Louis and Marie Antoinette finally consummated their marriage seven years and three months after their wedding. Like, properly consummated. Like, she, and this is the thing, like, when she, like, told her mother that the act had happened, oh like, God. that was what was happening. Poor children. I promise, I'm pretty sure this is the last we'll ever have to hear about this. It's done, it's happened. Good God. We can move on. Um, both the king and queen would write to the emperor, crediting him with the effort. And extending their thanks. The advice, as the emperor told his brother, had been quite basic. (laughs) (sighs) So fucking funny. I love this, guys. So, (laughs) with the great work finally accomplished, Marie Antoinette announced a pregnancy within the year. Once they figured it out, they did a pretty good job with it. Uh, The couple's first child, a daughter, was born at Versailles on December 19th, 1778. Unfortunately, it wasn't good enough. Maria Maria Teresa, having already been appointed godmother well in advance of the birth, had the privilege of naming the child and would, in fact, name her Marie Therese (laughs) after herself. I just. And in fact, the Empress required all her firstborn granddaughters to be named in her honor. So. I I kind of love it. She just seems like maybe she was kind of an old bitch. Yeah, but, like, in the best way. I mean, she got shit done. Like, I'll I'll give her that. But, like... Very much a bitches get shit done kind of woman. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Certainly, everyone had been wishing for a boy. Marie Antoinette did weep on learning the child was a girl, but her disappointment seems to have been short-lived. Poor little girl, Marie Antoinette is reported to have said, You are not what what was desired, but you are no less dear to me on that account. A son would have been the property of the state. You shall be mine. That's cute. Yeah. As for the king, years later, Louis would tell Marie Therese that, towards the end of Marie Antoinette's pregnancy, a son had been born to the king of Sweden. Louis himself had warned his wife to expect a girl, as two kings would not have two sons in the same month. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. It just happened that he was right. Yes. On hearing this story, Marie Therese, Marie Therese asked whether her father regretted her birth. The king assured her he did not, and everybody in the room, uh, as reports say, burst into tears. Jesus. Really fucking cute. If if anything else, like the research for this episode has endeared me to Louis the Sixteenth so much. Robert Schwartzman really was Jason Schwartzman, sorry, Robert's the Jason, hot one. Yes. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say it's really easy to endear yourself to Louis the Sixteenth when you picture him as Jason Schwartzman. All like, I can picture. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, as you kind of predicted, with the birth of a daughter, the pressure was basically on, again, instantly for Louis and Marie Antoinette to try again. (sighs) Um, But this would have to wait as Marie Antoinette was struck down with a case of measles the following spring. 
As the king had never had the illness, the queen decided she would keep her three-week quarantine at the Petit Trianon, which is a small palace on the grounds There's a palace on the palace grounds? Like a guest house? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it's like a smaller palace. I've been there. It's very cute. Uh, so the Petit Trianon had been gifted to Marie Antoinette by Louis in August of 1775, uh, and it had been originally designed for Madame du Pompadour, who was the mistress of Louis XV. Uh, the Trianon had been designed for simplicity and was meant to be a retreat away from the formalities of Versailles. It would eventually be accompanied by its own folk village of tumble-down cottages and a working farm in which, in which Marie Antoinette could live out her own pastoral fantasies. Ah, that's some rich people shit. <sighs> it is. She she literally just kind of, like, was cosplaying being poor. I can see where people might have been a little upset. Like I said, there's there's certainly something kind of, like, charming about the, like, aesthetics of it. Like, it's cottagecore. It. She was doing cottagecore. Yeah. <laughs> She's literally doing cottagecore. Um, but also, yeah, just a very good reminder that this was a woman who was deeply out of touch with how normal people actually Which, live their lives. Like, it sucks, but it's not her fault. Yeah. Again, like there was no opportunity. Where is she going to get this dose of reality? Everyone else around her is equally as delusional. Uh, This is also about the time, as I mentioned earlier, that she started to favor these simple white muslin gowns and a look that would be criticized for being too informal for a queen. Oh, it was a cute look. I liked. I think it's cute. We'll post pictures, of course, of all her fashions in uh, the Instagram. But uh, while Louis never spent the night at, Petit- at the Petit Trinan, uh, he did occasionally pop by to read to himself in a little rowboat. Do you say read to himself? I yeah. am picturing him sitting in the just- boat, like, reading out loud. <laughs> See, I was picturing kind of just, like, leaning back with one of the, the like, old-timey leather books and just, you know. I would just whiling away in afternoon. that reading. <laughs> Uh, their relationship had become noticeably deeper after the birth of their first child. Um, there is an instance where, as Marie Antoinette was waiting out her quarantine um, when she had the measles, the king came by and stood in her private courtyard for a time, visiting with the queen as she leaned out the window. Like, the three weeks she had to spend away was apparently just a little too long for the two of them to I be apart. I get it. And again, like, it should be of note, I think, just... While we're talking of their marriage, Louis, whether out of loyalty or just general disinterest, he never took a mistress. He was very faithful. Sometimes that (laughs) comes back to bite you. I can't imagine how. Uh, So Empress Maria Theresa, the bad bitch herself, (laughs) would die on November 30th. I can't believe I said those words. 1780, uh, just a few weeks after Marie Antoinette's 25th birthday. Uh, she would unfortunately not live long enough to witness her daughter's greatest triumph, a son, which was the birth of a <laughs> dauphin. Yeah, on October twenty second, seventeen eighty one. I've heard this story before. The highest honor a woman can aspire to: creating another man. Uh, God, I hate it. <laughs> it was the king himself that broke the news to his wife. He said, Madame, you have fulfilled our wishes and those of France. You are the mother of a Dauphin. The birth of their son, who was named Louis-Joseph Xavier Francois, would prove to be a high point in Marie Antoinette's life, both in terms of, you know, just her overall popularity. She had given France an heir and kind of her own personal happiness as well. Yeah, because she didn't have anything that she had to do anymore. She could just hang. <laughs> She did it. She won, like, the end. Uh, Louis, for his part, was overcome with pride. He wept through the prince's baptismal ceremony. 
And Soon was framing every conversation in such a way that the words, my son, the Dauphin, could be introduced as frequently as possible. sweet boy. (laughs) The The softest boy boy in all of France. (laughs) Uh, The birth of the Dauphin was celebrated worldwide, including by our friend Catherine the Great of Russia, who sent the baby a rattle made of diamond and coral. That was valued at 24,000 Libra. Christ. Just a cute little reminder that all of these people were ridiculous. What did Thomas Jefferson send? <laughs> uh, the libels, of course, would ex- would allege that the new prince was illegitimate, but they would claim this about all of Marie Antoinette's children. Yeah, checks out. Uh, unfortunately, it, so- it was soon clear that the Dauphin was not as strong and healthy as his older sister. He was racked by constant fevers, and his condition would only deteriorate as he grew older. Probably all the inbreeding. Yeah. While Marie Antoinette would deny this in the letter she wrote to her brother, it was clear enough to the royal couple that a second son was desperately needed. You need an heir, and you need a spare. Time to get back to work. Uh, It was around this time, coincidentally enough, uh, that uh, the dashing Count Fersen has once again made an appearance at Versailles. Uh, he actually had returned briefly to the French court in 1778, uh, though the next year he would leave again because he had signed on to fight on behalf of France in the American Revolution. Oh, yeah, that was going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a thing that's happening. It's slightly relevant. Um, at that time, the queen had been heavily pregnant with the Dauphin, so assu- we're assuming that they probably didn't have an affair at that time. Yeah, she was tired. I- <laughs> yeah. So most historians believe that if they did have an affair, and we're, we're assuming that they did, I think all the evidence is there, it most probable that it began on his return in 1783. Well, she was a little more free. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like, she had, she'd done the thing. She had a son. Like, she could... She had a little more flexibility. She didn't need to, like, walk on eggshells all the time. She could, you know, go enjoy life a little bit. So um, it was actually very little was ever known about their relationship at the time. Like, it never it was even a rumor in the Libels who, again, would accuse Marie Antoinette of sleeping with everybody. anybody she looked at. Yeah. Uh, and there is some contemporary evidence that it happened. So in June 1791, uh, Lady Elizabeth Foster, who was the mistress at the time of the Duke of Devonshire uh, and a friend of Count Furson's, wrote in her journal that Furson had been, quote, considered as the lover and certainly the intimate friend of the Queen for these last eight years, which matches almost perfectly with his return from America. It's a long affair. Yeah. Uh, there's also evidence in Furson's own letter book where he detailed his correspondence with a mysterious woman named josephine uh which is believed to be a pseudonym for the french french queen basically like he would write he would um he wouldn't write his letters in this book but he would record like when he sent a letter into who that is and some the dates nerd shit. she sent yeah <laughs> basically the dates of the letters that he sent to this woman josephine matched up with when he was away from versailles so presumably yeah uh, he would later tell his sister that he believed married life was not for him. I can't be with the only person I want, the only person who really loves me, so I don't want to be with anybody. Aww. Yeah, he's cute, too. And he looks like Jamie Dornan, allegedly. Yeah, I just, there's some uh, disconnect between, like, ah, uh, yes, an adorable king and a, a hot dude, because, you know, everyone in France smelled like asses. During this time period. Oh, yeah. I, we haven't really talked about it much, but Versailles was a mess. Everyone Just was stinky. really gross. <laughs> there were animals everywhere. No one was cleaning up after them. 
Like most people didn't bathe very often. It was bad. Uh, and they just used perfumes and like powders. <laughs> yeah. And like the little. Just cover it up. Like the little like beauty marks that they use as makeup was to yeah. cover blemishes. Yep. Everyone was. That's a, we should bring that back. That was a cute trend. I mean, we have like those zit stickers now. Yeah, we do. Oh my God. We're just circling back around. <laughs> All trends are cyclical. I actually really like those uh, blemish stickers. Yeah, those are pretty cute. Well, not even for cute purposes. Like, they're actually useful. Just a pro tip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gotta get me some of those. Uh, so, their relationship would continue until Marie Antoinette's death, uh, though it would evolve. Um, Furson was valued as a friend of friend and confidant, as well as an emissary be- between the French and Swedish courts. Uh, he was also really well-liked, incidentally, by Louis XVI. <laughs> did he? I think. Did he know? I don't know. I, I've never really seen that covered. I I presume he had to have. I don't I know. Maybe it, he was just like not. <laughs> it's it's entirely possible he was just not observant enough. Well, that wouldn't surprise me. But also, it sounded like it wasn't as big of a deal back then as it would be now. Right. Yeah. Like it's kind of to be expected that you know the king and queen will take lovers. The queen's just got to be you know more subtle about it. Well, yeah, because the king can just parade his dick business. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> there can literally be a paid position at court for the king's mistress. Yeah, the, minis- the minister of dick business. <laughs> yeah, that was the t- exact title. How do you well, know? That- there's our new merch design. <laughs> Sorry, you were saying historical, like, interesting things. <laughs> Marie Antoinette would go on to have two more children. A son, Louis Charles, in March 1785, knocked out another one, uh, and a daughter, Marie-Sophie Helene Beatrice, in July 1786. Good for them. Uh, While Louis Charles impressed everybody with his strong constitution, Sophie, unfortunately, was born premature and did not thrive. Um, It's worth noting that there is some speculation as to the paternity of both Louis Charles and Sophie, given that, you know... Marie Antoinette was likely having an affair with Furson at this time. Oh, who gives a shit? <laughs> uh, Antonia Fraser believes that's unlikely. Like, she kind of points out the aristocracy knew at this time how to use birth control. And Louis didn't seem to have any doubts, which means, which at least it would indicate that he was still performing his uh, royal duties with the queen. Um, and she also makes a point that, like, as I kind of mentioned, Furson was a little bit of a slut. And, like, he managed to not have any kids. That we know of. That we know of, yeah. So, I don't know. They probably had it figured out. Um, By this time, however, Marie Antoinette's popularity was beginning to wane a little bit. uh, A lot of bit. Uh, The Libels presented her as a frivolous woman without a thought in her head, uh, while simultaneously painting her as a Machiavellian figure, manipulating her indecisive husband to make unpopular political It is amazing how nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like women have been treated poorly for centuries. Fucking looking at you, Britain, being mean to that poor prince and his lady. <laughs> it is here where we get uh, the affair of the diamond necklace, if you'll remember. We covered that back in our episode on Two French Scandals. Easily one of my favorite old-timey rich people stories. <laughs> yes. So if you want kind of like the long version of the story, go back and listen to that episode because it's a lot of fun. But as a quick refresher for the people who may not have may not be familiar with it, uh, there's this cardinal by the name of Louis de Rohan, and he had fallen out of favor with Marie Antoinette because he was a real dick to her mom. And she was also loyal to Gondor. 
Yes. <laughs> God, I hate I'm you. Sorry. <laughs> uh, for the purposes here, he'll be played by Carl Urban. <laughs> yes. Thanks for predicting my next joke. Uh, so, Aomer, I mean, uh, the Cardinal, <laughs> got catfished by the absolute scam goddess, Jean de Lamont, who fooled Rohan in believing she was a friend of Marie Antoinette. So having forged a bunch of letters that were purportedly from the queen, Jean persuaded the cardinal to buy an absolute ridiculous diamond necklace for her on the basis that she, as Marie Antoinette, was too embarrassed uh, to ask the king to do so. Uh, The cardinal did on credit, of course, and after acquiring the necklace, he passed it off to a man he believed to be one of the queen's footmen. Uh, This man was instead Jean de Lamont's boyfriend, (laughs) and she and her husband would eventually dismantle the whole necklace and sell the diamonds off in London. Like the end of Ocean's... What was that? Ocean's 8? Eight? 8? Yeah. Which, again, it... Off the bat, took three less people when it was women running the show. <laughs> women are just more efficient. I don't know what to tell uh. you. <laughs> the crime itself was only discovered when the jewelers who made the necklace, having yet to be repaid by the cardinal, wrote to the queen requesting payment. She was like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) Essentially, yeah. What followed was a sensational trial in which Jean de Lamont was convicted and branded a thief while the cardinal was eventually acquitted. Um, Despite her innocence, like she really had absolutely nothing to do with this. Many believed that the queen had used Jean de Lamont as like a way to orchestrate the cardinal's downfall. Oh my God. She didn't like him. Well, he sounds like a fucking Uh, idiot. (laughs) Yeah, he does. He was an idiot. He was real dumb. Uh, Her excessive spending at this point was already making her unpopular, but the scandal damaged her reputation and also just the reputation of the monarchy itself so completely that it would never recover. It is all downhill from here, folks. Right. Uh, So far from the enthusiastic applause she had once received at the beginning of her reign, uh, Marie Antoinette was now being hissed at (sighs) the opera. Beyond just the scandal, Marie Antoinette's spending had earned her the title of Madame Deficit. Yes, because she's Um, the problem. (laughs) Yes, it is all her fault. Because she is running the country. Uh, Some cutbacks were being made at court. So in 1787, uh, nearly 200 posts were eliminated from the Queen's household alone. Uh, But the royal family really didn't make much of an effort to curtail their spending anywhere else, which is not helpful. Uh, in Marie, uh, like, yeah, Marie Antoinette's spending, it wasn't any more extravagant than anybody else's, but she was the queen, so it was the most visible, and so most of the blame fell on her. Yeah. Uh, besides just, you know, the issue of the royal family and the all the money they're bleeding, <laughs> uh, France's financials were just further strained by uh, the unwillingness of the aristocracy to pay literally any taxes, uh, and huh. never mind the country's participation in several costly wars. Hmm weird that's yeah it's it's weird how these things will happen in history and then never happen again yeah i I can't think of anything that equates to this yeah the the world this these days is nothing like the france in 17 i mean we're a little less stinky whatever (laughs) uh the recent american revolution in particular was a problem uh it was intended mostly as a big fuck you to england and it had driven the nation even further into debt. Beyond just the price tag, the success of the American Revolution 
would have some unintended consequences for France. I would say uh, Louis himself had actually questioned, like, is it right to ally with those who are rejecting their sovereign? Doesn't set a very good example. <laughs> and it didn't. Uh, the war for independence would, it's basically inspire the people of France to think, hey, maybe we could overthrow our king. <laughs> That's a thing you can do? Huh. Yeah, it's just... I mean, if I had to pick between overthrowing Jason Schwartzman and Jonathan Groff, <laughs> it's actually a really tough choice. What a power couple. Ooh, yeah. If only <laughs> France and England could have just gotten along. Yeah. So in an attempt to repair her reputation as best she could, Marie Antoinette did her best to promote herself as the mother of the children of France. This included the commission of a new portrait to be painted by Elizabeth Viget Lebrun, of whom the queen was a frequent patron. She painted like 30 portraits of the queen. She was very... Maybe if she had stopped getting all these fucking portraits painted, they could have <laughs> saved some money. Well, Emily, the cameras don't exist. <laughs> I you guess. You have to Instagram. If it isn't on the gram, it didn't happen or whatever it's called. Le gram, I believe. Yes, le gram. <laughs> Uh, in this portrait, Marie Therese stands at her mother's side, gazing up at her adoringly, while Louis Charles sits in her lap, uh, and in the cradle next to her is the baby Sophie, with the Dauphin just off to the side, pointing at his youngest sister. I'm not touching you! Huh? I'm not touching you! <laughs> That's exactly the vibe, honestly. <laughs> Actually, he's kind of like pointing at the bassinet, he's like, what the fuck is this thing? <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh... <laughs> Oh, God, I feel bad for laughing because now I have to say this. Uh, it was not, in the end, a particularly lucky portrait as the baby Sophie would die on June 19th, 1780, uh, 1790, 80, shit, I wrote 1987, which is not the right year. 1787, maybe? <laughs> 17, yeah, 17, no, it would be 17, 79, 8, 1789. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, so the shoulder pads and all the dresses were really big. <laughs> the baby Sophie would die on June 19th, 1789, just a few weeks shy of her first birthday. Her figure was painted out of the picture, ah! leaving just an empty cradle as a very, very sad memorial. Jesus Christ. This is, again, this will be in the slideshow, but it is the most depressing portrait I think you probably could ever see. While the portrait was due to be displayed at the public to the public later that summer, the queen had grown so unpopular that they feared there would be demonstrations for showing a portrait of her. Uh, so it was withdrawn. Uh, someone intending to certainly intending to make a political statement painted a note to the empty frame that read, "Behold the deficit." Ah, some Banksy ass motherfucker. <laughs> In May 1789, in an effort to avert the nation's impending bankruptcy, Louis moved to convene the Estates General. So, this is where <laughs> this is where Sarah had to piece together how the French Revolution worked. So, the Estates General was a representative assembly of the three kind of orders of France. So, there was the first order, which was the clergy; the second order, which was the nobility; and the third, which was the people. Um, the assembly itself dated back to like the 1300s. It was never like a standing institution. It was just one of those things that if France was in a particular time of crisis, they would convene and everybody would get together. Okay. Like an emergency council. 
Yeah. So, and before this, the last time they had met was 1614. So this is not a frequent occurrence. Oh, damn. This is like a very desperate move, generally. Uh, It's also not a very well-functioning body. So the three orders, of course, by nature of their position in society, could almost never agree on anything. Uh, In particular, uh, the third estate had held, you know, some considerable and understandable resentment towards the second estate. Can't imagine why. (laughs) Under French law at the time, it was only the third estate that was compelled to pay taxes. Nobility and clergy were all exempt, of course. Oh, my God. So, and as always, the real burden falls upon the poorest in French society, which is farmers, peasants, and the working poor. Mm -hmm. So that's who's paying your taxes. Yeah. Uh, In late April, just before the meeting of the Estates General, a riot broke out in Paris, the result of a decision made by a wallpaper manufacturer called Revelion to cut wages. Okay. I mean, I get it. Uh, 300 people were killed before the riot Jesus was quelled. Christ. In the con- yeah, in the, con- the consequences of which were twofold. So, not only has the French government now convinced themselves that the people of Paris are ungovernable, are ungovernable, um, but the people themselves understand that the government is ready to use military action against them. So that's good. That's that's probably yeah, that. This will end fine. In the midst of all of this political strife, uh, the, the king and queen were facing a much more personal crisis. So by early 1788, it was clear that the Dauphin, Louis-Joseph, would not live much longer. In addition to his constant fevers, the young boy was thin and weak and had trouble walking due to a curvature in his spine. Um, it's believed that he suffered from spinal tuberculosis, which, <laughs> this is really grim. But it kind of just like, your the vertebrae in your spine just kind of crumble. Ah, love love an old-timey disease. He is like a seven-year-old boy. Uh, He was moved to the Chateau de Madon, where he would eventually die with his mother at his side in June 1789. They didn't really cover this part in the movie. They didn't. They actually skip right over the fact that she had this many children. I'm fine with that as like a... Yeah, and I get it because you they kind of have this sequence where it shows, you know, like they paint the portrait... And then they move the portrait, and then they bring the portrait in, and the baby is gone. I don't know if you remember that particular scene. Yes, I've seen the film quite a few times. But yeah, so <laughs> so they cover the death of the baby, and I think it just would have been, like... Too much? Yeah, too much, and also just, like, it's a 90-minute screenplay. you got to streamline it a little bit. And you can get the same effect by, you know, focusing on one death rather than the next. Plus, it's, you know, old-timey France, we kind of just assume. So, following her son's death, Marie Antoinette would order uh, that the, the portrait of herself and her children that Vigée Lebrun had painted to be removed from Versailles, finding it uh, to be a painful reminder of her children's deaths. Again, bad painting. <laughs> yeah, fair. Fair enough. Uh, meanwhile, the Estates General had failed to make much progress in managing France's financial crisis. Um, while the Third Estate had been granted double representation, which just meant that they had um, twice as many delegates as either the First and Second Estates. It doesn't really do much if you're not making the other two pay taxes. They doubled their representation, but then they said, well, voting is going to be done by power and not by head. So... The first estate would get a vote, the second estate would get a vote, and the third estate would get a vote. So it didn't fucking matter how many people oh my God. <laughs> any of them had. 
So it's just an extra person there to argue. So yeah, the representation there was essentially worthless. The first and second estates whose interests were, you know, much better aligned would always outvote the third. Uh, Not satisfied with this for obvious reasons, the third estate proceeded to meet separately. (laughs) And on June 17th, the unilaterally, unilaterally declared themselves a national assembly with the intention of providing France with a new constitution. In an attempt to prevent this, Louis ordered the salon in which the third estate met to be closed. Uh, and the deputies instead adjourned to one of the tennis courts at Versailles, where a general, general oath was administered. Later, um, on July 9th, the ah. National Assembly declared itself a constituent national, national assembly with the power to make laws. So essentially, they're just going to say, this is bullshit. <laughs> We're going to make the laws now. Fuck all y'all. This is going well. And it was peaceful. There was a peaceful transition of power. Uh, there was more rioting. And at Marie Antoinette's urging, Louis moved a large number of troops into Paris. Then on July 14th, 900 Parisian workers, shopkeepers, and peasants, fearing that this sudden influx of troops meant that the king would attempt to dissolve the National Assembly, stormed the Bastille prison to steal arms and ammunition. Still clustered at the Palace of Versailles, it seemed that both Louis and Marie Antoinette passed the day of July 14th in complete ignorance of what was happening in Paris, and it was only when the king had retired to bed uh, when a member of court finally broke the news. Is it a revolt? Louis asked him. No, sire, came the reply. It is a revolution. It's a clusterfuck is what it is, sir. Clusterfuck's a good word for it. (laughs) So we're going to stop there for this week uh, at that cliffhanger. Uh, and next week, we will cover uh, the French Revolution, and it's it's going to be rough. I'm, I'm just going to pre-warn y'all. <laughs> nothing, nothing from this point is, this fun, is, is going to be funny at all. We're all vaguely aware of how it goes. We'll still make jokes about it, though. I'm going to try, <laughs> but yeah. <sighs> so that's where we're at. Well, I mean... God, nothing is new. No, there's a particular resonance in some some of these historical events. (laughs) Isn't there? It's like, I want to like the royal family. They seem like nice people just on their own. But this is very preventable if they would just, like, stop paying their fucking taxes. And paying taxes. Making rich people and the clergy pay taxes would have solved all of this. Just, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's how they all stayed rich. You just hoarded all the wealth. That's my, you know, deep political analysis. Yeah, yep. Uh, All right. Well, (laughs) uh, you can see all of the the portraits mentioned um, on our Instagram at Afternoonified. We're also on Twitter at Afternoonified. Uh, you can find us online elsewhere at uh, getafternoonified.com. Um, you can also purchase new merch. Um, I forgot to mention in the last episode that we have a, uh, yeah, we do. a new t-shirt design. <laughs> I mean, we have several uh, t-shirt designs, but this one is a new one that I forgot to mention. It's our um, Serial Losers design. <laughs> the Mean Murder Man. Yes, the, Jeffy our, our no mean, friends. <laughs> Jeffy no friends is my favorite. Jeffy no friends is my favorite. Uh, <laughs> Unibrow Bundy. Um, 
tiny gremlin and the chubby behemoth, which, uh, in my defense, David Berkowitz called himself. That's a great name, honestly. So yeah, that's available, um, along with a plethora of other products. Uh, let's see, what have I done? Oh, you can email us at afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com. And remember to rate, subscribe, review, all of that fun stuff. Uh, we will be back with a mini featuring a very special guest uh, next week. We're we're breaking up the Marie Antoinette with some more unhinged bullshit. Uh, <laughs> some real white woman shit. Some real white woman shit. <laughs> some real millennial white woman shit, <laughs> to be specific. It's great. Yeah. Um, we will see you then. And then we will see you back here in two weeks for the thrilling conclusion of our three-part Marie Antoinette series that should have been two parts, Sarah. I promise. I promise. It's only three. I've written the whole thing. It's only three. How many more pages do we have left? Eleven. All right, guys. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. We love you. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.